Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lending podcast. The question I have for all you out there is, why is there so many female scientists in lighting, Greg? Holy macaroni. It's awesome. I don't know if we answered it, but I like it. I know. There's so many. We, got the, we had the pleasure of speaking to Andrea Wilkerson from PNLL. That's Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. And uh, lighting cues, man. Holy mackerel. Perfect term for it. We finally figured it out after I don't know how many podcasts now. But she summed it up. It's lighting cues, or we summed it up. I don't know how it comes out, but you'll find out in this show. Oh, yeah. You got to find out about the lighting cues. If you want a smart cell, if you want to be smart, you got to understand this concept. And you got to watch it evolve in the marketplace. Because this, to me, is the true application of the lighting science into human behavior. And I don't know if it's wellness is kind of put to the second part. And behavior is moved to the forefront. And I find that super interesting because in a way, good behavior is wellness because it, it, it's just lighting cues. Just listen to this episode, folks. That's it. <laughs> just listen. I'm not going to try to explain it in the intro. Um, but before we get there, whoa, we got to go back to the original energy focus. That's energyfocus.com, E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. And they want to talk about their N-Focus lighting control system, Greg. Yeah, perfect application for what we talk about today in this podcast. But they have (sighs) a lighting control platform that can definitely do all the cues you want. They have color, uh, color selectability and dimming. But the unique part about this is you don't have to buy some big, nasty, expensive fixture and system. This is a tube. You put it in your existing fluorescent fixtures. You can make it all lighting control capable, human centric, whatever you want to call it. Lighting cues, it, it'll do that for you. This system is affordable because you don't have to buy the fixture. You can use your existing fixtures and put it in and unique. No one else has something like this. Another new item from Energy Focus, putting them over the top. The original. Uh, the original. Energy Focus, super innovative company. Uh, member of Nailed. And of course, if you're listening to this, guys, it all starts at Nailed. If you're a lighting distributor and you're interested in this podcast, join the conversation, man. And I don't mean just coming on the show. I'm talking about getting in Nailed and figuring it out with us. We're just the figureheads, dude. We're the guys in the front. A lot of smart guys in Nailed, way smarter than Greg and I. So go to energyfocus.com. Go to Nailed.org if you want to join. But for right now, Andrea Wilkerson on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you. I am very pleased to be here. Great to have you. Say hi to Greg Eric. Hey, Greg. Hi. Thanks for coming on. I uh, am a Kansas native, so in the vicinity of you. Yeah, we're getting uh, close. I hey, wanted <laughs> to ask you a little bit. We've had people on before uh, from your company, but give us your company and, and what you guys do. So Pacific Northwest National Laboratory is one of the Department of Energy National Laboratories. There are many of them spread throughout the country. We just happen to be the main laboratory we work uh, for happens to be in the state of Washington. And then the lighting team for Pacific Northwest National Laboratory happens uh, to be located in Portland, Oregon. And we think about lighting all day. Uh, Our primary goal is to support the U.S. Department of Energy Solid State Lighting Program, which you may be uh, familiar with, obviously familiar with some of my colleagues. And, you know, um, 
a lot of that focus initially was on just getting people to accept LEDs and, uh, you know, creating something that someone felt like they could install and, and trust. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even several years ago, we realized like, that's a train. We can't even stop the LED adoption. So it's, um, I've been in about seven years. And when I first started, I think an A lamp was still about $50. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's I'll just, I'll tell you one of those you want. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just exciting to see that like that the average person, right. Can now afford a, uh, you know, to put LEDs in their home and, and to save energy and for it to make economic sense. And yes, not everyone's going to be putting in fancy, uh, smart, tunable lighting, et cetera. Uh, right. Or that's right. where you can get to your $50 price point really fast. Um, but yeah, it's, so that's really our mission and that's shifted a lot over time. In the beginning, it was a lot of consumer reports-esque work, right? So helping the industry gain confidence that this stuff even worked. Uh, you guys might remember the L prize lamp. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a, you know, a competition to develop a replacement for the incandescent A lamp, but with LED. And we're actually still testing that. It's still going strong, which is, again, pretty cool and a testament to the technology, I think, over time. For sure. Now, you said you you support the U.S. Department of Energy Solid State Lighting Program. I know a little bit about it, but I assume the goal of it is to get people to convert to LED. Yeah. Yeah. And and recently, uh, and and save energy, right? That's definitely the goal. It just happens to be LEDs are a great way to do that. And uh, a recent projection estimated that the cumulative savings between 2017 and 2035 from LED will be $890 billion in the U.S. So sorry for our Canadian friends. You're in the... <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's 5 trillion Canadian. Oh. oh. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything else that even comes close? I know Mike brings it up all the time that lighting does all the work, but is there... I mean, are there studies on any other technology that has that impact? No. Nope. Yeah. Uh, I Unbelievable. Mean, that, I don't all think the, there's all the efficiency gains, All of the efficiency gains have been done by the lighting industry. Everything um, that anyone can talk to, and I'm a believer that it's time for producers of electricity to step up and make clean energy so that we can use as much of it as we want. Um, so that's my position. It's been that way for a long time. We can only efficiency. We can't. Efficiency is a mitigation. It's not a solution to any problem. It's a mitigation. And if we want to solve our problems, what we need is clean electricity and as much of it as we want. It needs to be affordable. Um, so there, there's my little beef. But yeah, I, I, lighting has done all the work it can do. Um, there are a bit, there's some room left to continue down this path, but it's time for producers to step up and make clean energy. That's my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's why we're still around, right? Because there's mm. still gains. There's still gains on even the you know the technology side, mm-hmm. uh, and and also controls i i've listened to many many of your uh podcasts and thank you uh i know that you have <laughs> had a lot of joy with controls um and <laughs> and I, I you know it's it's something that 
the lighting industry has been trying to figure out for a long time what what is that value and for a long time that was energy and you no know, we realize on the advanced lighting team and and the solid state lighting program it's that is not going to drive a lot of adoption anymore right mm-hmm. once you've taken um you know just by CLED, you're getting a majority of your savings and and adding controls really is a difficult sell. I would assume you guys would know better than me because mm-hmm. <laughs> the pay, yeah. payback's just not there. In it's terms it, of it's right a up. trouble. It's a trouble causer. Um, you know, controls uh, they can introduce a lot of headaches in installation. And then if you you know people try to flip it so that if you did the controls first and the LED after, everything is a great payback. But no one would ever do that. They would do the LED lighting system first, and then you look at controls and it's a five to ten year payback realistically. So yes, we need a new story. Yeah, and, and, and I guess, yeah. Speaking of new story, so the solid state lighting program. Do you envision it? You said that's why you're still around. Do you envision that being around? And how long do you envision that being around? And is it going to be all focused on controls, or where are we going? I I think there's going to be a heavy shift uh, to controls, just because that's where a lot of the energy savings comes from, and I also think that's where a lot of the value. Uh, lies as we look towards the future with building technology. So, uh, you know, recently I've been reading more sort of about the the future of buildings and we had a a keynote speaker at uh, the DOE uh, lighting R&D workshop that was really looking at, hey, what what is the future of buildings? And if you think about it, have we changed the basic process for building a building in 100 years, you know? We finally just got rid of the incandescent lamp. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes. And, still, and the, the, process, <laughs> the process hasn't changed that much. Uh, whereas you look at other industries, even, you know, uh, shipbuilding. Uh, obviously, there's easy ones like taxis. There's a lot of improvements that have been made. But building costs more than they used to. And do we get more benefit? And they're less beautiful. <laughs> no, I'm serious when I say yeah. that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like one of the most, one of the most intrinsically valuable things uh, that a city can produce or a civilization can produce is beautiful architecture. It's the reason why people go to Europe. It's that you're blown away. Like it's literally like for a kid that grows up in Toronto that, you know, there's a hundred year old building there and you go to, you go to Paris or you go to, um, somewhere in Germany or, or Rome, it's mind blowing, right. like it, the architecture, and it, it's right. beautiful. And the beauty has so much value to it to give to the society and give to the world. We have to look at our architecture really as art. Well, no, we don't have to look at it. Architecture is an expression of what we see as valuable. And so, in the past, when people made beautiful courthouses, it's because they valued justice. And now you put a courthouse in a tenement and you, you know, with a cinder block wall, same with universities, same thing. You know, you go to like the old Queens University, my, call, my university in Canada, or you go to Harvard or you go to these uh, Cambridge and, and, and Oxford and these places. You, the old architecture is beautiful because it was expressing an ideal. And I think we've lost that in a, in a cost conscious race to the build things as quickly as possible in a nouveau aesthetic of architecture we've lost that where's the soul andrea not 
Yeah. Yeah. I, so I'm off I agree. And <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's fine. I actually, I started out in architecture so I can appreciate <laughs> uh, the direction that this is headed. And uh, uh, so again, I, I think, you know, the point is that ch change is going to come to the building industry. And I would say the one thing that I had kind of overlooked is the pressure that there's going to be to reduce the cost hmm. because housing has become so unaffordable. Buildings have become so unaffordable. And now there's technology uh, and how and looking at, you know, how technology has been adopted. You think of how long, you know, it took for TVs to get adopted the you know, computers to get adopted, uh, you know, happened rather rapidly. Pokemon Go, right? Like now yeah. people can adopt things super fast. Um, and so I think that it's just that hasn't that shift hasn't happened with the building industry. And given our current environment where, you know, we're looking at, wow, uh, when, you know, we're thinking about when are we going back to the office, right? Uh, our team, you know, works in downtown Portland, Oregon, and a lot of people take public transit. And if we can't be that close to each other anyway, and a lot of our work we do on the computer, if, you know, again, because we can't travel, I spend a lot of time traveling, but it's it's like, yeah, what's what does the future look like? And I, I think it will cause people to think about buildings in a new way and what is the value of those. Um, but again, this access to data, I think is, is huge. And that's something that's really been missing. Uh, I know you guys have talked in the past about uh, a recent podcast you had. Um, uh, I think it was the gift of controls podcast. You were talking about tunable lighting. Mm -hmm. And that's what I spend a lot of my time focused on uh, is realistic settings is what we call it. Uh, used to be known as Gateway, and one of the first Gateway projects was actually in Minnesota um, on the I-35 bridge. Yeah. Just initially, hey, do LEDs even work? Can we, you know, put them on a bridge and will they last? Um, to shifting to, okay, what's next for LED um, and just also lighting systems in general? And how do these controls work? What actually other added value can we get from the controls beyond energy savings. And so something we've been focused on is one, do people even like tunable lighting, right? So Good question. we're told that people, <laughs> we're told that people like it. <laughs> no, the, you know, it's a white they... tower. Yeah, no, seriously. The sales sheet from the manufacturer says everybody wants it, but the evidence on the ground, I'm not sure if it's there. I'm not sure the demand's there. Tell me more. Yeah, it's so we have, uh, had a chance to, in a couple healthcare projects, look more closely at tunable lighting and actually at the level of understanding every time a button is pressed, we get that information from the control system. What does it tell you? So, uh, in the case, uh, in the case of, uh, NICU, there's a, lo a lot, that's a hard question to quickly answer. <laughs> what does yeah, it tell you? Take your time. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, some of our questions that really never get answered is, do you, you know, do you even need zones, right? How many zones do you need in a patient room? Do people actually dim? Uh, you know, a lot of times we don't have that data. Is dimming valuable? 
what are the nurses using during the day? What are they using at night? Are uh, in the case of this NICU, it was a uh, programmed scene. So it started out warm. It turned on at seven, started out warm, faded to cooler at 7.30, a cooler color temperature. And then again, faded back to warm in the evening between seven and nine and then turned off. So who said as that? long as no one... Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, the yeah, who set that that it, timing and and what time of day and what color and all that? It was the lighting designer working with the university facilities and the architect. See, hey, we've had people on this keep podcast. Going, keep going. I'll sorry, but, about but I, I want to. <laughs> okay, all right. Keep going on the. No, 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 go go back for it. No, no, we got no, lots go. of time. Yeah, yeah, you go. So you're in the NICU. So uh, you've had it. You basically programmed the sun, right? The sun, a sunrise and sunset to the room. Yeah, kind of. So I think one aspect that often gets overlooked, and I think this NICU was a powerful example of this, is that we actually respond to cues, right? You think of children. Mm -hmm. It's not time to go to bed. The sun is still yes. out. <laughs> Why yes. do I have to go to bed? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So that's like our natural reaction is to like look outside to mm -hmm. even, you know, this morning I'm like, I wake up. Is the sun, you know, is it starting to get light outside yet? Uh, kind of the first thing I look to. I don't look to my clock. And and so I think that uh, part of this, like, uh, push of tunable has been a lot of focus on well uh, health and well-being. But I think that it's broader and that how can we use it for queuing? So going back to this NICU, what was interesting is thankfully we had button press data, we had survey data, you know, working with um, the architect in the university. And also we had some, uh, a chance to actually talk with the nurses. And you know what they liked most about the tunable letting system? I never would have guessed. Please tell us. They don't have, they don't have to wake up the parents in the morning. Oh. The lighting automatically turns on and they don't have to be the ones that go in and wake up the parents and say it's time to wake up and get engaged. And there, this is a place where there's no uh, daylight hmm. in the in the uh, actual. But that's an indication rooms. that it works. Like I mean, the, the like it's interesting that what you're seeing there, like th that correlates. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's causational, but definitely it's a very curious correlation because what's happening is you're 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 turning on the lights. Yes, people wake up when there's lights, but it's it, perhaps it's waking them up in a manner in which they're accustomed to being waked up in that warm color temperature yeah. light at a lower level. They get up and maybe what they're encountering is someone that hasn't been shaken out of bed or, hey, wake up boom, in a bad mood. Exactly. They're encountering someone who's r risen from sleep naturally by light. I think that's and, that, that's very interesting to me. That and that you think, again, uh, like the the stress of like, oh, like that awkward interaction. I have to go wake up the parent. Like, you know, the nurse wants to be focused on other things. doesn't sure. want to focus on that. And then another aspect is that in the evening, uh, it also uh, was set to be during visiting hours for guests. And, and so it, it marks that time period and then the lighting fades off. And so, again, it's not like you're having to go in and pick out grandma and grandpa who just want to spend time with their little baby. Uh, it's 
it's like, okay, the lighting did it. <laughs> can blame not, the lighting. <laughs> but you know what, though? Not only that, though, but if it's also gentle, if it's actually a gentle yeah. fading, people will feel like it's time to go. Like they'll naturally, yeah. it's interesting because it's not like you're shutting the lights off all of a sudden, never get out of here. But it's, there's like this tuning and it's like people are naturally seeing this as a cue that occurs to them that, yes, it's no longer appropriate for us to be here now. The lights are going yeah. out. That's super right. interesting. I think it's more than, I think it's deeper than that. I think what you're doing is whether or not this is healthy or not, I think what you're doing is you're cueing, perfect word, you're cueing humans to say, oh, it's time to leave. Oh, you can no longer be here. It's time to wake up simply using the lighting system. I think that's amazing. That's so fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and you think like in theater that happens, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Where when mm. you're supposed to go back in the lights dim, uh, in the, uh, I'm a silly one stop lights, right? Sure. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we yeah. obey those lighting cues. That's so uh, interesting. Bars. Sure. Yeah. Dim <laughs> Time the to leave. Yeah, turn the lights up. Time to get out of here, bud. Mm -hmm. yeah, wow. restaurants, yeah restaurants that are closing so i feel like that's like a whole aspect that's sort of been missed uh and and some of our work has um outside of healthcare has been in classrooms and again there's some sort of like well you shouldn't give the teachers control because you don't want to disrupt the kids circadian rhythm etc but i really don't think that's a concern um and again, obviously, you know, there's always room for, for research on this, but the kids are going outside typically, right? They're playing, they're running around. And I think it's really powerful that the teacher can use the lighting system to also send cues to the kids. Okay, we just got back from recess. You know, we've seen this with a couple projects where teachers use it and they switch it to a dimmer, warmer, uh, right when the uh, kids would get back in from recess and they do a little breathing exercise or, you know, just have a quiet time before then, you know, they'll change the lighting again to transition back into classwork. I think one of the, the things that stand out to me is, as you're talking is there's one application that's automatic and another that's manual. How do they know? Is it just on your own preference? Is that what we're suggesting can I, as a can lighting I jump in? Can I jump in first yeah. on that, Andrew? No. Just to you like, always kinda, do. I know. <laughs> Uh, Go ahead. I'm an inter. I'm, I, no, but I, I just I, I have I kind of had the same question. But there's there's two tracks here, and they they seem to be uh, they seem to be not aligned. And that is the circadian mm -hmm. with the controls. So either you you're executing this circadian strategy, and it's set up for a school or for shift workers or whoever you're setting it up for. And the scientists know what to do, and so we program that, and we program that in, and off you go, don't touch it. And then there's this other side, well, no, I want to be in control of the lighting and I want to be able to influence human behavior using lighting. And here's how I'm going to do it. So I see the, or people want to be able to control their lighting or tune their own personal lighting, which I see no evidence for, by the way. But um, the, the, they may, you may ask people and they'll say yes, but I don't think they'll actually do it. But are those two things like opposite goals? Like it, it's either circadian or you give people control. But what you're saying is that maybe it's both? I think it depends. Okay, so it depends on the application for sure, right? Uh, so I think anywhere where someone's, you know, maybe a nursing home or a, a hospital, uh, 
maybe a hospital. Again, that it's a little tricky where you have a more programmed scene versus again, giving people control and, and really what is uh, the dominant factor, right? So you, you, um, so if people are exposed to bright light, like the kids, right They're they're going out to recess, you're, it's not like your melatonin goes down during the day, right? It's not like you need light to keep it going down. Really what you need light for is to make sure you're entrained with the 24 hour day. And so even if you're in a dark room, right, for several days with no cues, you would still have a rise and fall of melatonin. It's just you would get out of alignment because our natural rhythms uh, for the on average are a little longer than the 24 hour day. And if we were what they call free running. So for a kid, right, who is uh, waking up, going to school, went to recess in the morning, goes to recess again in the afternoon. And the fact that there's not going to be a big difference between 3,000 and 5,000. If you look at a lot of the circadian metrics, like there's not a big difference there. So does it does how much does it matter? for the circadian system versus the importance of sending cues and helping kids transition. And so is it worth giving the teacher control? And I think, you know, I'm not saying I have the answers. I think that's going to continue to be something that uh, people have to make a decision on. I guess I would just say that I think uh, lighting gets all credits, not uh, for entraining us. And yes, it's an important part of it, but simply like, you know, I've heard some uh, researchers say, like, simply like having your bathroom lights on when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, right? You're getting that light exposure, um, and and you're helping keep your uh, circadian system in in sync with that 24 hour day. And the research uh, is is still out there with can we get improvement? So can we affect alertness, right? Mm-hmm. And can we affect other things during the day? Can we affect productivity? But again, that's uh, still to be determined. And I think, you know, there's a lot of concerns, I would say, by uh, some working in offices on both sides, right? Like, I already feel like I work hard enough. I don't want my company making me more alert all day. I'm exhausted when I go home because I've been working and in this, like, intense environment all day. Uh, And other people are like, why aren't my employers giving me circadian lighting again? Because... They're reading these things online and and grow concerned. So I think uh, there's just going to continue to be a lot of need for education around this. But again, that's where I see like the queuing idea has sort of just gotten left behind. Um, even, you know, there's some uh, research done on social cues. And uh, some of this work was done by actually um, Al Louie was one of the first researchers uh He was actually the lead author on the paper in 1970 showing that light suppresses melatonin. So that's another thing. It's not like this is new just because we discovered, you know, and and named this intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cell in 2001. Uh, You know, scientists have been working on this a long time and we've been trying to under, you know, they've been working on understanding the effects of light. And, and so 
I think, yeah, sometimes we can think, oh, yeah, like this is new. Incorporate. No, this is this is not new. And it's going to take some time, right? It took some time to even discover the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cell between, you know, 1970 when we knew light suppressed melatonin and, uh, you know, 2001. So, uh, so I think it, it just as patience and is needed. So <laughs> not that anyone. Likes I've it. said this a lot on my show. So, so we know we can hurt people with lighting, right? So we know that there are things that we have done in the past that have been less than healthy. And we know yeah. that, you know, uh, casinos certainly um, use lighting to manipulate people's circadian rhythms by, you know, shining bright lights in their eyes. And I've often said, you know, hey, shine a white, white light in someone's eyes uh, at a, a machine and it'll give you your paycheck. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the idea we, we going back to episode, I think, nine with um, Professor Wilkins, Greg, this idea of doing no harm. And that, so I think we're in a phase right now where we know what hurts and we want to stop that, but we're still unclear if that there is, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, as an industry and, and from the scientists and the industry perspective, we're still largely unclear that whether or not we can impact human health outcomes in any realistic way using lighting. And yeah, and I think, okay, so it's really easy to do this in a laboratory, right? To show that, uh, light suppresses melatonin. But when, you know, oftentimes these are, you know, grad students, right, who they convince to come into a lab space in the middle of the night. These grad students, right, haven't been traveling, you know, in order to participate, they can't have been traveling into different time zones. Some of them couldn't, um, you know, be exposed to bright light, no caffeine, right? All these factors that come into play. And and so that's why a lot of our emphasis is, okay, we, yes, we can find these things in the lab when we're controlling all these variables, but what do we find with real people in, in real settings? Uh, and, and do we find these effects? And it, it's hard to do this kind of research. That's why it's a lot easier just to do it in the lab. You can control all these variables. It's much cleaner. <laughs> Uh, much easier to recruit grad students than to like, you know, get people to cooperate with you uh, in an office or even, again, what's the construction schedules, et cetera, create a, a lot of other variables outside of the laboratory, um, even just trying to get uh, some of this research uh, completed. But that's, um, yeah, that's a lot of our emphasis and and part of it and why why is DOE even like considering this is because there's it seems, pa it seems a touch past their mandate actually because a lot of people uh you know if you want to meet certain suggested criteria that are out there for a circadian lighting system you're doubling light levels so this 890 billion dollars I just talked about we might save. It's also, well, a trade-off. Uh, are we actually, you know, we're making this jump from like, well, we found this in the lab. Now we just got to do it in the office during the day. That's that's a big jump. Um, and so that's why there's still a lot of research, I think. You don't need to do any area. research. I'll tell you right now. You know, no research necessary. Any lighting dork will tell you that sell, any lighting distributor that goes and sells lights to the end user, if you walked into someone's office and said, 
we're going to double the light in here. Okay. If they already have a good system, you're going to piss off a lot of people, actually. Some people <laughs> don't want more light. Some people want a lot of less light. Right. So I, I don't know if that's like, it's tough to tell people this is good for you, whether you like it or not. You get right, a lot of resistance. We eat cookies, right? <laughs> sure. Cookies we don't eat as many vegetables as we should. Right? There's a lot of things <laughs> we don't do that we should because of preference. Um, and I, and I, so that's, you know, kind of circling back. I think that's where we got really interested in understanding how people were using the lighting system because in this NICU environment, in the patient room, the system could be overrode. So you, you, you know, that it was encouraged that the, this programmed setting take place. Uh, but if there's an exam, right, there's an exam button. So the lights all turn on bright in the middle of the night, you know, they're not going to, uh, they're going to need some light. So what, uh, you know, they're going to be turning on lights. What lights are they turning on in the middle of the night? And, and what was interesting from the data and something I, I think uh, about uh, is how, what other ways can we use this data? How can we optimize systems using this data? So we think about all these recommendations that come out, uh, you know, from like the IES or other organizations suggesting this is how you should design your lighting system. There's often not a lot of data. They just gather some experts together who, who make a decision, you know, people who design classrooms. Okay, this is the amount of light needed. But where's the data that's helping drive those decisions? And, and so that's something we've also really been focused on in these realistic settings is like, okay, how are the teachers using a tunable lighting system? How are the nurses using this tunable lighting system? And, and you also start to see um, there is a way that they could actually override the color temperature that really wasn't advertised in the NICU. But we saw this in the data and we're like, huh. And so we, you know, when we had a chance to talk with the nurses, we're like, why was someone setting the lights middle of the day to a warmer color temperature? They're like, oh, because the dad had PTSD and he really didn't like the bright, hmm. uh, you know, cooler color temperature. He didn't like the 5,000 Kelvin. And, and so I think that's where we have to be really careful with being super prescriptive because we're all so different. You know, some people might exercise in the morning and they went for a run, right? They, they got exposure, their melatonin's likely suppressed, uh, or someone goes for a run in the afternoon and, or, uh, you know, there's aging eyes. So you have to take into account, well, how much light is actually, you know, getting to the back of the eye, depending on age. And that's, yeah. So I just, I think that the benefit of tunable lighting systems that offers a lot of flexibility that you didn't have before. Hmm. Is there such thing as circadian friendly lighting? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've okay, got a follow-up question. I don't I want, know I want what the definition is. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, do you think that that's oh, circadian an okay term friendly. to use? Mm -hmm. you think that's an okay definition uh, no, to use no or? okay no because it all like it really like sure maybe you get some again your standard tunable lighting system the amount of blue content between three thousand and five thousand not that different in the grand scheme mm -hmm. right versus intensity you ramp up intensity yeah you're changing that blue content quite a bit and so i don't 
it's it's really again i think uh up to the person right just like we all get to right. decide what we eat and and i'm not saying like in a, a nursing care center okay that is a little different um but i think that being too prescriptive at this point with not a lot of research to back up in realistic settings uh and and saying you have circadian friendly lighting it's like well bright light is possibly circadian friendly yeah. uh you know it really depends on output or, or color tuning or both do you need both to be circadian or can you because you talked about cues and brighter light makes you more alert but does the color matter that's what i'm trying to get my head yeah. around do you need both or can you do one or the other or you just say there's no such thing i'd rather say that yeah uh, no i would say there's no such thing as circadian friendly because again you would have to control where the direction the person's looking, you know, that's something we've actually been focused on too, is a, a lot of the guidance is pretty simplistic. And it's like, well, okay, what does at the eye mean, right? And if you tilt your meter a little bit, you can get a very different number. If you tilt it a little bit this way, well, what happens, you know, I have two monitors at work and I guess now uh, working from home, have two monitors. So I'm looking different places all the time. And how often am I even in my office? So to, you know, make, to say like, oh, yes, I deliver circadian friendly lighting. It's like, yeah, people, people are people, <laughs> you don't know. So we got to better understand, I think, the broader aspects of this before we can say we're delivering circadian friendly lighting. A okay. And, you know, I asked. Oh, go ahead. What are, what are the metrics? Like, What would you use? It uh, says a metrics in motion, circadian metrics is one of your articles that you've done. Oh, what are the metrics? Yeah. Like what are the um, there? There are a lot of well, quite a few of them. So uh, the, the two or three most well known is uh, circadian stimulus (CS) developed by LRC. There's uh, equivalent melanopic lux (EML). Um, that's something that well uh, really used in the beginning, and now you can also use CS uh, for their lighting criteria, and then. M over P ratio is another uh, sort of, uh, it's related to EML. Um, so those, I would say those are the main three that people are using, but you know, there's people uh, Are you saying that those are largely, well. largely useless? Like what is it that they're really, they're, they're unsubstantiated, those metrics? Um, I would say that there's more work to be done. Ha <laughs> ha. I love scientists. So, uh, again, I just love scientists. <laughs> no, I, I love the way you guys answer questions. It's the, I love the humility. Whenever we have a scientist on, it's I, I love it. It's it, it there. You're not a salesperson. Let's put it that way. I absolutely, think it's great. It's such a good balance. I mean, there's, I, I think, they are tools and and better understanding how lighting affects people. Right. We have to have a way to start to characterize this and and can we use these metrics as, as a way to do that um but i think it's important to understand like again this is still the early days right like sure. we're still in the early days of understanding this and understanding it in real spaces so i have another question for you okay yeah and it's completely off topic okay but i, I think <laughs> you ready. might like it i don't know I think. I don't know if you actually caught our uh, episode we did with Rebecca Costa, uh, the futurist. Did you see that one? Oh, I missed that one, but okay. I saw the Mark Lean one, your other futurist. 
Yeah, he well, he's the lighting, <laughs> the lighting futurist. Future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were speaking to Rebecca, and we were talking about all different kinds of issues. And she she's not a lighting person; she's um so uh, evolutionary biologist. Um, okay. but she said something to me. She goes, "We were talking about uh, gender relations," and she asked me a question. She mm -hmm. said, "Do you know any female scientists?" And it's a test she does. Okay, to people because nobody can name a neat female scientist. And I said Jennifer Veach, and then she turned to Greg, and Greg said Mariana Figueroa. I was like, bing, bing. And she was, you could tell on her face that, oh my God, that's the first time anybody has mentioned this, <laughs> like has answered the question, just bing, bing right away. And so what I'm wondering is there seems to be a lot of women scientists in lighting. Did, am I not, am I like, because yeah. everyone yeah, says no, there's, no, there's no women in science and it's a, it's male dominated and all this sort of stuff. And listen, I would say that the vast majority of scientists we interview on this show for lighting are women. Why yeah. is lighting so, so, it, so why is lighting so inviting to the fairer sex? <laughs> uh, and I guess I'm brought so my background's architectural engineering, right? So it's related to architecture, uh light related in a way, lighting design, right? So a lot mm -hmm. of people may have initially been piqued in interest in lighting design. Uh yeah, I mean I can't like answer that fully why we happen to have more females uh in lighting relative to maybe other areas but uh yeah it's it's good i would yeah. say the majority yeah. i would say the majority of researchers that we've interviewed greg yeah for sure on the lighting show definitely yeah it's been, it's been women and they're talking about lighting science and so mm -hmm. i i find that a curiosity because Everywhere else in the news, I hear that, you know, there's no women scientists. And I'm like, I interview them all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. And they're great. So I don't know why there's any, I don't know why they're being stopped and stop it in other, other fields. They're good. You can hire them. They do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just like a couple other things. Um, so are tunable lighting systems actually being used in the field? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. From our data. From what we have. Right. Andrea, thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks. And focus. I got to tell you, has to be set to be the most popular lighting control system out there. In my mind. I don't know if they're going to win, but that's a slick move. Yeah, I mean it, it's a unique move too, and, and 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 it makes sense because right now, as a lighting distributor, which I do all day long when I'm not talking on this podcast, I'm talking to people about buying lighting, and you talk to them about, all right, let's go LED, easy, anybody can do that, you can make it LED, but now they want to get some controllability to it and some unique controllability, different colors, dimming, all of that stuff. Anytime you hear that, you're like, oh man, I got to go new fixture, I got to redo everything, uh, it's going to be way more expensive. Until now. And Focus has the in-between option where you can keep your existing fixtures, retrofit it to an LED tube that gives you 10-stage dimming and color tuning capabilities right from it. And no flicker. Come on, man. That's the way to do it. Easy install. Man, I mean, I, that's set. To, like, I mean, if, if you want to do, if you want to offer your customers lighting control right now, and if you just listen to this podcast about lighting cues, you got to check out in focus from energy focus, man. You have to, it's it, like, it's irresponsible not to folks. 
So go to energyfocus.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lending Distributors, where it all started, folks. That's right. NALD.org. And uh, Andrea Wilkerson, Greg, what an honor. I love that I know what to call it now, lighting cues. Ooh. I finally get it. It makes so much more sense to me. It really does. And I loved the way that the behavior, that the nurses are reporting that there's less friction. They don't have to wake people up. They don't have to tell them it's time to leave. Like, that's awesome. so beautiful, dude. That's so healthy. Yeah, and you can't define it in terms of a payback or better. Get that out of your head on this. That's yeah. something that's on, that, that just makes people better at what they feel better. Want to be at work. Want to do things like that. That is going to make their productivity better. Everything about it. Awesome. Standing in a hospital room and you're, you're visiting your grandma. Or, well, hopefully we can do that again. But you're there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're, the lights start to dim a little bit. You start to feel like it's time to go. Grandma, I love you, whatever. Instead of, hey, it's time to go home now. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Visiting hours are old. Like, it's just so beautiful, dude. I love things that reduce conflict. It's such a wonderful gift. Conflict is so unhealthy. So unhealthy. And anything that can reduce conflict by making things flow smoothly and naturally to cue people to, to be, it's not, this is not surveillance. This is not contact tracing. This is just saying, hey, maybe just, you know, in the back of your mind, maybe it's time to go home now. Maybe it's time to wake up. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So folks, you can get it done with energy focus, Zen focus. But either way, this is such a beautiful podcast. And we thank Andrea Wilkerson for sharing her knowledge and her time with us. What an honor. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, Lord is there to find you.